You are listening to the Sustainable Transitions podcast, a podcast series where we explore our transition to a low-carbon society, the communities that lead the way, and the people who support them. I am your host, Stephanie Lynn Becker. Today's topic is reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and to discuss it, I have not one, but two guests. First, I have Dr. Ramana Gutiputi, a researcher at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, whose research focuses on cities and greenhouse gas emissions. He recently successfully defended his PhD at the University of Potsdam titled Cities and Global Sustainability Insights from Emissions and Ecological Efficiency. And I also have Dr. Louis Costa, also a researcher at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research. He is the lead of the Sustainability Transitions flagship and of the EU Calculator Project, which allows non-experts to explore trade-offs and pathways towards sustainable and low-carbon European societies. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Okay, so to start with our first question, why should we be reducing greenhouse gas emissions? Thanks for having us here to talk a little bit with you. Well, why should we be reducing greenhouse gas emissions? Well, from since the last 20 years, the scientific community has been pulling out more and more proofs about the negative consequences of having huge concentrations of carbon dioxide from anthropogenic activities in the atmosphere. And the rate that we are doing that is pushing several biological and physical systems of the Earth and of the climate into quite unknown regions. And especially unknown regions or unknown states since we as humans have been here. So there's all kinds of concerns. Why should we reduce carbon emissions starting from, I don't know, something as simple as carbon coral reefs that might be bleaching due to the the increase of of acidity through the carbon release to forest fires, through extreme events, through a huge myriad of impacts that have been throughout 20 years now connected to increases in carbon emissions. So if that's not a good reason, I'm sure that has a bunch of other ones. Thanks, Stephanie, first of all, for having us here. I think apart from what Luis mentioned, which I'm sure is very crucial, one thing is very clear and is very well established. Regions which were responsible for anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions are the ones which are unfortunately the least affected regions in the world. The regions which are going to be affected the most anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions at a global scale are actually the regions which are poor which are fighting a lot of poverty. Some of them have established democratic systems, some of them don't. Adding to the poverty, we have other social issues, and these are the regions where the government systems are relatively weak, and these are the regions where people are considered to be more susceptible and vulnerable. As people usually put it, climate life is unfair, and so is climate change. So the guys who are least responsible for climate change are the ones who are going to be affected the most. If I may add a bit more in terms of what I do as an urban planner is like these regions actually are uh, the metropolitan regions where people migrate from the rural areas because of the effects of climate change as well and these regions make these people even more vulnerable because they are the ones who will be living in slums or low-lying areas which are frequent with flooding. We talk about Dhaka, we talk about Dakar in Senegal, talk about Lagos in Africa most of the cities, Mumbai, also like more than 50% of the people live in slums. So these are the people who are going to be affected the most. I think if 
the first part which Luis mentioned, don't convince people to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions, they should do because this is where the real effects of climate change on human beings is clearly seen. And um, uh, so what were your approaches to studying how to reduce carbon and greenhouse gas emissions? Well, the approaches can be several. I think in a general way, what we do here is data analysis and data integration. So we try to look at the data that has been released and we try to do some statistical analysis from it, try to decompose what are the main drivers of these greenhouse gas emissions historically and if this has changed into the present. And based on this understanding, sometimes we try to do some modeling associated with it or, or try to find some general relationships about how what drivers uh, are behind these greenhouse gas emissions. They can be societal, they can be infrastructural, they can be a number of, of drivers. So this in a general way are the approaches that we do. And also there are others that take another perspective and look more at societal drivers around how societies are organized and what kind of activities they do and or what kind of initiatives are there connecting to the topic of or to the overall theme of the podcast. So there are people who take this data approach but others that take other approaches as well. In my opinion, I think like the approaches vary depending on the objective and uh, your focal area. For instance, the approaches of like on a global scale, most of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions, they actually come from electricity generating units. Irrespective of the country you take, at a national scale, I'm not talking about at a societal level, but at a, at a national scale, uh, then the approaches for studying reducing carbon or greenhouse gas emissions would be as a first step to actually look at where do we actually get these emissions from and what are the available strategies. You know, like mitigating greenhouse gas emissions, technology has a huge, huge role to play in when we talk about mitigation and greenhouse gas emissions. Now, like as Luis briefly mentioned, there are like obviously these top-down approaches. We could start with the electricity generating units, and from a bottom-up approach, you can actually bring in some behavioral attitudes towards energy and resource consumption at a local scale. And much then about this, like no one magic wand to say like okay, we have greenhouse gas emissions. So to sum it up, I think the approaches for to study depends mostly on our focal point. Do we want to address climate change more from our climate change mitigation, more from a societal perspective, or do we want to address climate change more from a top-down perspective, from an electricity generating unit, to transport emissions, to trading, to food, agriculture, changing land use, etc., etc. I'm working now on a project that has the objective of producing a model a little bit different from the other ones that exist already, that of the model is still the statistical analysis and that's the, the basis of it and so that's the approach but in connection to that to the development of the model we also do kind of expert interviews with experts on particular sectors just to try to get a feedback how the sector when I speak sector I say transport buildings electricity and so on how it's moving and what are the plans for the next 50-30 years and we try to gather experts on the table at the EU at the European level and try to understand the status of the sector where it's moving what are the constraints and we try to integrate that on the model so it's not only data it's also kind of the soft information that we try to integrate on it it's also kind of an approach I think I just have a question like how does your approach what are the things that you consider when you have to project the greenhouse gas emissions also this EU calculator or EU level we will have a technology component and a lifestyle component these are two very important components that we will have in, in the European calculator at the end and the projections come, we will allow the user of the model freedom to choose particular
particular lifestyles and particular technology options. Mm -hmm. And the choice that is he does or she is free, but it's bounded by on the technology side feasibility of okay. the technology and implementation. And on the lifestyles, mm -hmm. which is the trickiest part, it will be bounded by some understanding of how society can change. There are also limits to how society can change, although society can change fast. So the projections that will come from the model is a, it's an interplay between these two. And we just set the constraints and we allow the user to freely play with it. There's no considerations of economy or anything like that. It's just a pure what if yeah. this lifestyle and this technology is implemented. Then the reason why I fundamentally really like this project is that you as an individual can actually determine and say like how much should I change in my lifestyle so that I do good enough for the environment reporting greenhouse gas emissions because there is always a gap between what you can do as an individual against what is already given to you even if you consume less electricity at home being aware of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions elsewhere you can't determine where does this electricity comes from does it come from dirty coal does it come from sustainable renewable energy so there are these things which you could do as an individual but you yourself can't you have your own limitations when you really want and this is what I personally like about this new calculator project. For your methods, what did you do? How did you approach reducing greenhouse gas the, emissions? The fact that I work on cities is it's excruciatingly difficult to collect data at city scale. And as Luis mentioned, we are mostly interested in modeling and we do modeling and we try to do projections. We want to see how it evolves with time and space. The biggest challenge for me in order to model is like there is not enough data. Okay, when we talk about emissions from cities, what do we talk? Do we talk about territorial emissions that originate within the city? Do we include the embedded emissions from electricity consumption, which is basically generated elsewhere to the point where it is consumed? Here is where it gets really tricky. The third type of emissions is actually the embedded emissions in the goods and services that are used. When we talk about Western cities, Western nations, which are basically urbanized countries, a majority of goods and services are imported. Most of our electronics come from China. Our clothes come from Bangladesh or India. And the food we eat, the coffee we drink, we don't have to go that far. The coffee we drink comes from Ethiopia, Brazil, many, many places. Now, if we consume a good which is produced far, far away in a city, how do you account for those emissions? So in that sense, because of these data constraints, I couldn't go much deeper, although I would love to. As I mentioned earlier, it's really, really challenging to actually have and calculate the embedded emissions. So majority of my, so where I could, I actually included and I tested the different hypotheses, like how does urban farm influence greenhouse gas emissions, which we will get into a bit later, and how does eco-efficiency determine like the size of the city determines the eco-efficiency but basically the modeling is a great tool but modeling is kind of it's very tough to model when you don't have data so your approach is you might have a brilliant idea in order to prove your hypothesis or to disprove it you basically need the data so what were the main goals of your research then for me the main goals of my research is to for me it's very important to understand as Luis mentioned earlier it's what kind of causalities explain the greenhouse gas emissions like whatever at a city scale basically I work at a city scale so I try to look at the causalities in the sense 
elements like what triggers greenhouse gas emissions in the city. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it could be urban form. It could be the size of the city in terms of local population. It could be the infrastructure services which are already in place. It could also be the goods and services, the economic geography. We talk a lot about Chinese cities and China kind of all taking US as the biggest greenhouse gas emitter in the world. But actually, when you account for the emissions, where these goods which the Chinese governments are producing, where they are actually consumed, we are basically looking at developed countries. We are not looking at China or India for that matter. So it pretty much the goal of my research is to actually look at a city scale and say like, okay, what can I do the best to decrease greenhouse gas emissions at a city scale? Do I have to target the electricity emissions? Do I have to target more the bottom-up level with respect to public attitudes towards energy and resource consumption? Or do I have to be provide better infrastructure services to the citizens so that they have efficient public transportation in place, for instance? When we encourage public transportation, we should have a public transportation in place. Then we can penalize those who use cars, for instance. So it's a combination of infrastructural, urban form, and behavioral activity and their influence on greenhouse gas emissions at a city scale. From my side, research goals are mainly two. One is very practical, leads somehow this huge number of partners that we have in the project towards the same goal, so a kind of a management goal. There are several institutions involved in the project, so that I cannot frame them all here, but from all around here, probably there will be a link there in the podcast so yeah. people can check that out. So it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a joint effort. So one of the goals is to get these very bright people getting on the same way and producing this this model. The other one is what I'm interested on and what I hope it comes out of it is to show the shares of what technology change we need and what kind of lifestyle change we need. We know that none of them by themselves will take us there but we don't know the shares so there are people more tending for the technological side, there are also very good arguments for the other side. We know there's a share of things that fall either on the technology side or on the lifestyle side. And we want to start quantifying this. What kind of technology feasible will take us and how far and how much we need to complement with also behavioral changes. So this is what I hope we achieve in the end of the project. Okay, so Ramana, what were your biggest findings on the relationship between cities and greenhouse gas emissions? You want me to summarize my entire PhD. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to put it in a nutshell. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. If I, if I have to put it in a nutshell, I will put it in three boxes. The first thing is like when we talk about cities, we basically are talking about uh, cities which are sprawling in the sense like they move from their central core and then they spread. It's like sprawl is often considered as a cancer. This beautiful book from Jane Jacobs about the birth and death of great American cities she already mentioned it. She said she actually said like how automobile industry kind of mm. made it really really tough for people to commute in the US and the whole if you look at, okay, let's not talk about New York and San Francisco, they are biggest exceptions, but most of European cities are basically based on transit based. The cities were planned based on the automobiles with an assumption that everybody has an auto. And as a result, we have seen this huge sprawl in cities. And as an immediate consequence. When you have a sprawl, your density becomes low and it would be not financially viable
board to actually have an efficient public transportation in place because you have your capital cost, you have your operational maintenance cost of this public transportation system. Given the current technology, you know, like let's assume that our technology, the way technology it is now, which is based on gasoline for automobiles, it kind of increases the greenhouse gas emissions. But it's not just seen in the US, it's also a similar pattern how cities are developing in Asian cities, despite being the most densest cities in the world earlier. Australian cities are sprawled. American cities are also include North America, Canada, you know it better. Uh, <laughs> Europe kind of still manages to keep the cities intact. But then there are recent studies by the European Environmental Agency which also said that even European cities are sprawling. So, in a nutshell, one aspect of my research tries to identify the relationship between population density and greenhouse gas emissions. This is a study which I did for uh, all inhabited areas in the US and I actually found out that there is a negative relationship, which means you double the population density. My research finding says that you would have emission efficiency gains at least by around 40 to 50 percent, depending on whether you are looking at building or transport emissions. So that's one part of my research. The other part of my research tries to look at the relationship of population size with the total urban emissions and in order to understand the intrinsic factors as I mentioned earlier economic geography plays a crucial role in the greenhouse gas emissions within the city influence GDP per capita also plays a crucial influence and technology so the how much of energy is required for a given amount of emissions so in this study I did it separately for based on the economic geography so I classified global cities into developing and Developed. And what I found out is that large cities in developed regions are typically more emission efficient in comparison to smaller cities. And the exactly opposite is the case with respect to developing country cities. I went a bit further and uh, tried to look at the influence of affluence and economic geography and the technology. And I found out that large cities in developing regions are typically emission inefficient, mostly because of increasing affluence and lack of of better technologies in place with respect to electricity consumption, energy consumption, energy generation and consumption. The case is kind of opposite with respect to large cities in developed regions because large cities are typically emission efficient, mostly because of better technologies. Because when we talk about cities in developed regions, in respect to of the urban farm, if you keep urban farm aside for a while, they have better technologies. They have strict emission rules from automobiles and they have some sort of public transportation system, no matter how good or bad it is, some sort of public transportation in place. Another part of my research finding and the last part is I looked at the most populated European cities where I asked a simple question, which cities, which of these most populated European cities consume less resources and generate more socio-economic opportunities. And here I found out that major cities with diverse urban economies are actually more eco-efficient. So eco-efficiency basically means you if you Efficiency in general means like generating more from less. Eco-efficiency means that you consume less resources to provide better livability to the citizens in the city. And the interesting thing is there is clearly a pattern. You know, like when I try to rank these European cities, I see that most of Western European cities are relatively well ranked in comparison to Southern and East European cities. There are a few exceptions, but this is the general pattern. And when you look at this, this Southern European cities, for instance, they are 
economy is kind of still not diversified. They are still in transition and majority of them still depend only on tourism, for instance. And this makes, on one hand, it generates income, but only for, for a few months in a year and the rest of the year, they're basically jobless. So in a nutshell, eco-efficiency, uh, just one more thing, like for a subset, I also looked at how does this eco-efficiency ranking correlates with the public perception about quality of life. It's kind of strange that cities which are eco-efficient, they are also perceived well and vice versa. So the West European cities are well perceived and Southern and East European cities are less well perceived and they are less eco-efficient. But there are a few exceptions. So these cities, for, for instance, cities like Bucharest, Bratislava, they do really well, but they are perceived poorly. So what does it tell for us as urban planners? You know, like you try to do your best, you generate economy, you do all the things which you can do to make people's life better. And people think like, no, I like Munich more. That's where there is the clash between your limitation as an urban planner against what people expect from your city. But you kind of already answered my second question. Yeah. What do you think has the biggest influence on city efficiency or eco-efficiency, as you said? Um, is it like one thing that you think makes the most influence or is it really a combination of different things that you kind of listed? Like? Well, it's it's like, okay, we, as scientists, we, we try to use Occam's razor, right? Like we try to look at the general trend and we kind of keep the outliers away and say like, ah, maybe an outlier. But I, I think for me, what makes cities equal the more efficient, either in terms of emissions or ecologically efficient, is basically their stage of development. And this is where I would like to relate a bit to the work of Luis, who is also working, but more at a country scale. They're like Luis is trying to explain, I'm sure he would, he would say it before, much better than me. He's trying to test this Kusner curves hypothesis, where we say like in order to actually be more efficient and like consume less resources and provide better uh, livelihood conditions, at, also at a city scale. Cities have to go through a threshold of emptying more. So the more richer they get, it's like an inverted U curve we are looking at. So the more richer cities get, the more harm they do to the environment, also in terms of emissions and resource consumption, to a certain point, and then they realize like, oops, we did something wrong, and then we go back. Unfortunately, the most efficient cities that we are talking about, I mean, I don't want to say one city is better, but when we talk about efficiency in its crude term, Tokyo is very, very efficient city. Mm -hmm. Copenhagen is an efficient city. Stockholm is an efficient city. New York is an efficient city. And the, the thing is, these are the cities which have already passed this threshold and they are really mature. Now, the biggest challenge is like most of urbanization is going to happen in cities in developing regions in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And now, the biggest challenge for me is like, okay, do we have to, we shouldn't follow the same trend. There must be a way to leapfrog from where they are in terms of their current GDP patterns to where they want to be, like Stockholm, Tokyo, or New York. And what are the measures that can actually bring us there? Maybe Luis can explain a bit from a country scale what he was exploring with this Kuznet curve hypothesis. Yeah, it was basically the same, but it's on a different scale. What we notice is exactly that we can find this kind of threshold, but we also find that the threshold is getting easier and easier to overcome as time goes by. So cities in as a rule in 2000s don't have to emit as much as in 1980 to go over this threshold. And now it's basically
basically and I probably in cities might be the similar pattern now it's a race to see how fast you are if your gains in affluence are smaller than your gains in efficiency because if it's the other way around then you will always be lagging behind the threshold there is hope I mean you can see from the data that the upper bound or the upper bound of this U invert U curve has been progressively going down and now the question is if it goes down fast enough for countries to overcome it in the next few decades and start reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. Is that from the EU calculator? Is that a specific paper? No, yeah, that's other type of work that I'm doing, but it will feed, I mean, the general understanding on how countries move along this curve serves as an input also for the European calculator, although it's not the core of it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. What I find interesting is, like, I mean, such a hypothesis also exists for cities. So when we talk about communities, respect, like at different scales, you know, like when you keep on aggregating communities, the big cities, like villages become cities, cities become regions, regions become states, states become countries. So, so we see a similar pattern growing at different scales, but at, even at a grassroots level, you actually see that as an individual. I mean, maybe if I can go a bit out of topic, you know, like in and being born in a lower middle class family myself, I was like, there was this craving 10 years ago for this large scale accumulation of wealth or possessions or material things, blah, blah, blah. And then once you have it, you're like, no, come on, this doesn't bring happiness. And they're like, no, no, you don't need it. Mm -hmm. So then you scale it up from an individual level to a country level. This is what you see. Of course, it gets more and more complicated. Of course. But I mean, especially for cities, like efficiency mostly depends on the kind of infrastructure in place. What are people interested in? Where do they spend their money? What would they do with their money? And most importantly, how do they commute? And where does this electricity come from? When we talk about Western developed cities, mostly in the northern part of the equator, majority of emissions, in Germany for instance, majority of emissions come from buildings. So if I'm a city planner here, then I would my focus would be to improve efficiency from a building energy consumption point of view. When you move closer to the equator, and more to the hotter regions, the majority of emissions come from air conditioning and the electric. Then my strategy would be but transport remains a common integrator of both uh, efficiency. When we talk about efficiency, we are basically talking about the climate zones, preferences of people, and how, what's the development stage of the city and what we could do to actually flip from the city to where it is to this efficient state. Thank you for listening to part one of the podcast on greenhouse gas emissions. Part two will be coming soon, so please stay tuned. And if you would like more information on the content of this podcast or sustainability transitions in general, please visit the Sustainable Transitions blog at sustainabletransitionsblog.com.